At this time, we invite the children, uh, kindergarten through second grade, to Children's Church, uh, which you'll find through that door over on the left side of the sanctuary near the piano. And um, So people keep uh, saying to me, hey, Seth, aren't you excited now? You know, you're in charge, and, and you know, everybody's really enthusiastic, and you know, that's really great and everything. You know, it's, you know what, how exciting is it when your boss goes away and asks you to fill in? You know, it's great, you know. But, you know, I love my job, and really the, the best thing about Jeremy being away is all the attention I get, and really... <laughs> And, and honestly, sincerely, you know, you guys, you guys are just so full of love and encouragement that it really is a privilege. It's a privilege to be with you. It's a privilege to be here. And uh, we're going to talk about baptism today. And you know, it seems that for a lot of Christians, baptism is like ice cream. You know, whatever you want, if you like chocolate sauce or you don't want any of that, you want strawberry, if you want vanilla, if you want nuts or chips... Whatever you like, you do your thing, and that's fine. And, uh, you know, how could I ever uh, condemn your taste in such matters? And so a lot of us uh, think of baptism in that sort of way. And, uh, you know, I really disagree with that. I think it's much more important. But, but I, I like something about that attitude. Because when people treat baptism like ice cream, one thing that it does is it opens the doors and people feel comfortable and we can, we can avoid having arguments and fights and people can be open and we can share with each other. We can have fellowship instead of having battles. And some of the, you know, the battles over things like baptism are so unfortunate. And the reason is because baptism is not real, real, real essential. And uh, so that's another thing I like about the attitude that baptism is like ice cream is because... It admits that the first things are the first things. That what's really essential and vital is to be connected with Christ. And uh, so, so Christ is our head. And faith in Christ is our heart. And those are the vital things. And baptism is like your hand. So I think baptism, instead of being like ice cream, it's more like your hand. And uh, hey, I can live without my hand, right? Right? So um, why not just undergo amputation? But uh, no one would ever consider amputation or do anything that would risk the loss of a limb unless it was the most extreme circumstance, something really dire. And so I think uh, baptism is a part of the picture and it's something that a, a Christian ought to have a desire to participate in. A Christian ought to be excited about. It's not just like ice cream. Um, so I want to talk about baptism today and the thing about it is sometimes it, it, it begins to seem like you're, you're getting into arguments about nothing. Uh, I don't want to create arguments. I'm a Baptist and I'm going to talk about baptism from a Baptist perspective. I don't want to apologize that. I, want, I don't want to apologize for that. I want to be clear about it. And forthright, you know, the, the main thing you want is you want to know where, where, where we stand and what we say and uh, not be left at the day just wondering. But, uh, but we want to be gracious. We want to be open. 
We want to be uh, having fellowship with God's people. But you know the thing is that it seems that we're passionate about some, of, some things like ice cream. We're passionate about some of our own interests. We're passionate and excited and invested and devoted to things like our health, uh, you know, our body parts that we're very attached to. But sometimes we treat the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ like ice cream. And uh, isn't, it, isn't it sad when we can be dispassionate, when we can even be cold about the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we can be utilitarian and pragmatic about things that our Savior has commanded for us. What I want to do today as I talk about baptism with you in these few minutes is I want to get you passionate and excited about baptism. I don't want to just, you know, straighten you all out and get, get you all believing the right way and show you all the proof texts and give you lots of arguments. I'll do a little bit of that. But what I, what I really want to have happen in this time is to get you excited about baptism. Are you excited about baptism? Is it something that thrills you? I, I think uh, this morning, as you saw what happened, I think there was some, some of that excitement. But uh, I want to encourage you to be excited and to worship God through baptism. And so what I'm going to do, we're going to walk through the New Testament. We're gonna, uh, baptism is talked about in lots of different places, little snippets here and there. And so that's kind of how this sermon has to be. We're not going to have one text that we can go through, but we're going to go through and look at some different texts. We'll sort of move from the, the Gospels through into the Epistles. And we're kind of going to move through the baptism ceremony. We'll start with where did it come from, and then uh, you know who's, who's involved, and then what happens. So that's our plan. And uh, we're just going to begin here with... Uh, where does baptism come from? And uh, could you turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 28? If you're using one of those pew Bibles, you'll find it on uh, page 989, the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28. And uh, so this is uh, the command the Lord Jesus Christ gave concerning baptism that we're going to look at. But when the Lord Jesus Christ gave this command, there was a background And, of course, uh, wherever there's religion, there's water. And water is always figuring a part in religion, especially Judaism. There are a lot of washings and things, uses of water in Judaism. Uh, And then in Judaism, around the time of Christ, there was a ritual called uh, proselyte baptism, where if someone from one of the nations wanted to become one of God's chosen people, if someone who was a Gentile wanted to become a Jew, one of the main things that was required of them was that they be baptized. And so they had this category that when someone wants to come into God's uh, family, into God's covenant people, he needed to be baptized. And then there came a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a forerunner for the Lord Jesus Christ. He came with a unique message. He came saying that the kingdom of God is near. Get ready. And what he did is he baptized people. And that in itself was not so entirely new and strange, but he did something that was very new and strange, and that is that he called the covenant people 
the Jews, Israel, to be baptized and come into the kingdom of God, to get ready and come in because the kingdom of God is at hand, it's near. And uh, so that was something new, that Jews were being called to be baptized and become part of this. And then the Lord Jesus Christ came. And John said, this is the one who is going to come. The one who baptizes, not just with a ritual, but who baptizes in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so Jesus comes and he teaches, and Jesus baptizes, and Jesus has his disciples baptize. And then finally, as Jesus is departing, he gives this command. And so we're looking in Matthew 28. He gives the command for his disciples to go everywhere in the world making disciples and baptizing. And so we'll just pick it up in verse uh, 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, so Matthew 28:18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so Jesus gave the command to go and baptize. Um, one, one big thing to see out of this. The reason we baptize is because Jesus commanded it. Here's a man who just wore sandals and walked on dirt roads, never traveled far, never held a public office. He had a little band of followers. Not many left. Not many followers remained after his, his death and his resurrection. But he gave them this instruction, as you go, make disciples and baptize them. And here we are. Millions of people hold on to that command. Millions of people take it very seriously. For thousands of years, people have followed this command. And it's been a very important part of their lives. What a majestic Lord we have. He gives a command, and it goes out to the nations. He speaks just to a group of people on a mountaintop, and it's carried across the world. The Lord Jesus Christ is a sovereign Lord. Indeed, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And when, he, when we hear those words of the Great Commission, we need to be encouraged and we need to be excited because look who gave this command. And look what happens when he gives a command. It goes out and it has a powerful effect on the whole world. Look at the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, yeah, people get into arguments about baptism and it's a scandal. But you know what you could say? If people are arguing about it, doesn't it mean that they're really taking it seriously? And isn't that all to the glory of Jesus Christ? That goofballs like us who argue about everything, that we take his commands so seriously. At least we're agreed that it's something important enough to argue about. And, uh, and so even the arguments are, are not all bad. Um, so the Lord Jesus Christ, he had great foresight. He saw that we would need some, some practical marker for, uh, for conversion. And, uh, and so Jesus Christ gave us this teaching. He gave this command to his disciples, go and baptize. And you know, the teachings that Jesus had, the teachings that Jesus gave, he received from God the Father, and he passed on to us.
And so, when we receive this command, we're receiving something from God. We're receiving something precious. We're receiving something exciting. We're receiving something that's full of blessing. Uh, so, I want you to get fired up. I want you to get excited about baptism. Now, uh, let's, let's move on. The, um, uh, we, 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 uh, we know where baptism comes from. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2 and let's talk about who is baptized. And uh, as we look at who is baptized, we, get, we, we, we find out what is baptism supposed to mark. It's a symbol, it's a picture, it's a display, it's a show, but it's supposed to stand for something. What does it stand for? And as we look at who is baptized, we, we get into the idea of what baptism is all about. What is the symbol showing? And, uh, and really what we need to do as we practice baptism, as we watch baptisms, as we are baptized, we need to keep our eyes focused on that reality, on the reality that's being pictured and not on the elements used to picture it. Not on, you know, how the person gives the testimony or not on, you know, the, the, the shape of the church or something like that or what, what I'm wearing or how hot the water is or something like that. But we need to focus on the spiritual realities that are being conveyed to us through this ceremony. So Acts chapter 2. Who is being baptized? Uh, here is the first, uh, this first sermon when Peter is, uh, is really the inauguration of the New Testament church. And Peter is preaching here in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit has just come upon the disciples, just as Jesus promised. So Acts chapter 2, uh, if you're using that pew Bible, it's page 1079. And uh, so Peter is preaching to the people. The people hear what he's saying and they're cut to the heart. We'll pick it up with verse 36. Therefore let all Israel be assured that this God, that of this, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says, Repent and be baptized. So the people who should be baptized are people who hear the message and they're cut to the heart and they repent and they turn from what they've been doing and they've got a new attitude and their eyes are open to who Jesus Christ is. And these are the people who should be baptized. And uh, look down in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So it's people who accept the message. And indeed, this is a gift of God. It's not something that just comes, um, uh, comes by human decision or, or uh, uh, from people. So... Whenever there's baptism in the New Testament, there's faith. Flip over a couple pages. Acts chapter 8. Acts 8. We see uh, another case where uh, people are being baptized. And who is being baptized but people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. So Acts 8, verses 12 and 13 and here's Philip. He's one of the, the guys who was in charge of divvying out the food to the widows, you know, in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, so he's sort of a deacon. He's in charge of the benevolence fund. And, uh, and here's this guy, Philip, and he goes off to 
uh, parts you know, here, hither and yon and he takes the message of Christ with him. And, uh, and when he gets to Samaria, look what happens. Uh, Acts 8, 12, and 13. People who believe are baptized. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and wonders he saw. So it's people who believe who are baptized. Uh, same in, you know, it, when Peter goes and visits Cornelius and uh, the first Gentiles hear the gospel, it's when they see that God, uh, God is working in their lives, he's sent his spirit as a special sign of, of his work in their lives and that they've believed the message they've heard. And Peter says, well then, of course they should have the water and they should be baptized. Uh, so that's the consistent story. In fact, it's so consistent that uh, the Church of England sees that this is what the New Testament teaches. I have uh, some words from a report by a joint committee in the Church of England on uh, baptism and confirmation today. And uh, this, is what, this is what they say, that baptism in the New Testament is for believers. Here's what they say in the report. It is clear that the recipients of baptism were normally adults and not infants. And it must be admitted that there is no conclusive evidence in the New Testament for the baptism of infants. All we can say is that it is possible that the households said to have been baptized may have included children, but at any rate, it is clear that the doctrine of baptism in the New Testament is stated in relation to the baptism of adults, as was also the case, with two or three exceptions, in the writers of the first three centuries. In every recorded case of baptism in the New Testament, the gospel has been heard and accepted and the condition of faith and presumably of repentance has been consciously fulfilled prior to the reception of the sacrament. Baptism is for believers. And uh, this, is the, this is the consensus among New Testament scholars. This is what the New Testament portrays concerning baptism. And so what is being portrayed... It's new birth. It's a new creation. God is stepping into a person's life. The scales are falling off a person's eyes. And, and the person is being born again, born anew. The Holy Spirit is coming and taking a person who is spiritually dead and bringing them into the new creation. And God is creating them anew. And uh, this whole creation is going to be erased. It's going to be burned with fire. It's all going to be obliterated and put away and God is making a new creation already right in the midst of the old and he's working in people's lives by his spirit and he's saving people today and baptism is a way of commemorating that. It's a memorial. It's a marker. It's uh, you know setting up stones to remind yourself of what God has done. Isn't it good that God has given us this way because we're such tactile, practical, visual people that he's given us a way to get the gospel through our eyes, not just through our ears. And so here's the word of God. God speaking to us. God speaking to you, not through your ears, but right through your eyes as as we observe baptism.
So praise God for, for this way of, of, uh, of receiving from him, of meeting with him, and, uh, and of seeing his work in people's lives. Having this, this marker that we can hold on to, that we can remember, that we can remind ourselves of, and that it's a connection between us and the, and the very words of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we go in the water and we come out, we're fulfilling his command. We're following his example. So you've uh, now gotten down into the tank. Excuse me. You've gotten down into the tank. You've, uh, you know, you're, the, the, you're the person who's believed in Christ. God's worked in your life. And you're here to mark, this, to mark this reality and to memorialize it and commemorate it. So who's there in the tank to meet you? Who baptizes? Who is it who baptizes? And uh, it's interesting, in the New Testament, there is not a whole lot about who baptizes. But there is a pattern that we see. So right here in Acts chapter 8, we've started to see it. Who's this guy, uh, this guy, Philip, who's baptizing? It's not the Philip who was one of the 12 disciples. It's this other Philip who was one of the seven who was set aside to be in charge of the benevolence fund, a deacon. And uh, so Philip is now off evangelizing and he has the audacity to baptize. And even, even uh, further, look, look in that next story uh, down around verse uh, 36 to 39. Here's this Ethiopian eunuch. Philip is off on the road to Africa and he meets this guy, this African official from, from, from Ethiopia, from Cush. And uh, he shares the gospel with him and the guy believes and, uh, he's, and they come by some water and the, the Ethiopian eunuch says, well, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized now? Good question. And so Philip baptizes him. And so there's a pattern in the, in the book of Acts of starting with the twelve, especially Peter, and moving beyond. Others taking up the mantle. Others taking up the commission. Others empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and do the same work. It's not that, uh, that the apostles want to keep a monopoly on the power of baptism. They're not trying to control it and contain it. But God is multiplying them and others are taking it. And so look over in the next chapter, chapter 9 and uh, verse 17 through 19. Here's Paul, Paul being baptized. And he's baptized by this guy named Ananias. Who's Ananias? Well, it, it says here in, in chapter 9 verse 10, he was a disciple a disciple who lived in Damascus. And it appears he's the one who baptized Paul. Um, and so then here's Paul. He's baptized. And Paul becomes a preacher. And he goes out preaching. And, uh, hey, wait a minute. It wasn't Peter who baptized him. How can he go and preach? But God called him. God's at work in his life. And so Paul goes out and he preaches. But Paul doesn't baptize a whole lot. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, you know, when I went to Corinth... I didn't baptize many of you and it's a good thing too because you, you'd think that you were following me instead of Christ. Oh yeah, I baptized Crispus and Gaius and there was the household of Stephanus. I don't think I remember if I baptized anybody else because God didn't send me to baptize. Well, then Paul, who did the baptisms? I mean, it's very important, Paul, we've got to know. Um, 
he must have just had other disciples baptized. You know, it's, a, it's about multiplying. It's about God working in other people's lives and raising up other people who can do the work. Uh, the command the Lord Jesus Christ gave to baptize and make disciples stands at the head of an ever-widening stream of disciples. It's like the command that God gave at the beginning when he created man. And he said, go forth, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion over it. And so in the same way, the Lord Jesus Christ gave a command to go and multiply to his disciples to go and make disciples and teach and baptize and teach them to obey that all, all that I've commanded you. So they go and they make disciples and they baptize. So this is a wonderful, fruitful, fertile, life-giving command. Baptism is something that is contagious and it moves on. And you know, it's something that generation after generation, it never gets diluted. You know why it never gets diluted? Your baptism is just as real. It's just as vital as the baptism of, of Paul or of that Ethiopian eunuch. And you know why? Because Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And when you're baptized, when, I'm, when I was baptized, it's the Lord Jesus Christ is present. And he's with us in every baptism. He's with us today to the end of the age. So you've gotten down in the water. Here's the person who's doing the baptism. And so what's the first thing that happens? Well, there's some preliminaries and, and we, we ask some questions and people give, give their testimony of faith. But the person goes down in the water. And what is the meaning of going down in the water? What, what does that signify to us? What does it symbolize that a person goes down in the water? And uh, what I want us to see is that going down in the water really should reveal to us the great love of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's, a, that's a surprising thing. But look over with me in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 in your pew Bible. It's page 1116. 11, what does it mean when a person is dipped in the water? What it means is that the person is undergoing God's judgment. And as they go down in the water, they're preserved and they're kept alive by the grace of God. As we undergo God's judgment in Jesus Christ, we're preserved and we're kept alive. Uh, look at uh, Romans chapter 6 and verses 3 through 5. It says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. So, being baptized is being buried with Christ. Or like it says in verse 5, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. So, being lowered into the water or going down under the water shows that we're being united with Christ in his death. It shows that we're dying. Christ underwent a baptism. Remember when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, hey, I want to sit on your left and, and my brother here, he wants to sit on your right and we know you're going to get a great kingdom and we want to be right in there. We want to get in at ground level. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. 
Can you drink the cup that I drink? And as we've been studying in Isaiah, the cup that is passed around to the nations is the cup of God's wrath. And who can drink it but the Lord Jesus Christ is going to drink it for us. He says to them, Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism I am going to be baptized with? The Lord Jesus Christ is going to be baptized. He's going to be buried. He's going to experience God's judgment. It's going to overwhelm him like a flood. And I'm united with Christ through faith. And his death is my death. And so, you know, this is the really beautiful thing about baptism. This is where we really get excited. You know, baptism is like judgment in the Old Testament. God judged the whole world with water. And, you know, Peter talks about how the flood of Noah is like baptism. And so, here God is judging the whole world with water. And he's punishing all mankind for its sin, smothering them all in water. But Noah finds favor and he's saved because he's in an ark. Or here's Jonah. Jonah the prophet who is disobedient. And he's out at sea in a ship and there's a huge storm coming and the sailors are saying, what are we going to do? And they're crying out to all their gods and Jonah says, it's not going to do any good. There's one reason why this storm has come. It's because I've sinned. You've got to throw me into the depths of the sea. You've got to throw me into the ocean and I'll sink down and die. I'll be overwhelmed by the judgment of God and then you'll be safe. And so they try everything. They can't do anything. So finally they throw Jonah over. And you know what happens? The storm ceases. Baptism is being overwhelmed with God's judgment, but it's being saved in the midst of it because Jonah goes into the sea and God provides a fish who swallows Jonah and saves him. you're, You're overwhelmed by God's judgment. You come before God and you say, I am a sinner. You cry it right out before God. You accuse yourself before God. And His judgment falls upon you and when it falls upon you, it falls upon Christ who has saved you. And you're saved. It's, um, it's uh, again, in the Old Testament, there's Israel passing through the Red Sea. And the waters are on both sides and Israel passes through safely. So baptism pictures the love, the salvation that comes in Jesus Christ. Christ died for my sins. Isn't it wonderful what you see in baptism? Can't you worship God for, for what God is doing when we see baptism? And then... Uh, the last thing we see then is what does it mean when the person comes up out of the water? And it means resurrection. After the flood, the ark comes to rest on dry ground and the world is new. There's a new creation. And this is our hope. When you see baptism, you need to get filled with hope and anticipation because If God gave Christ for us, then He hasn't spared anything. He's already given the best. What is God going to withhold? Romans 8.32 He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? God is going to give us everything. After passing through the Red Sea, Israel gets through and their enemies are a distant memory. The threat of of their pursuers is gone. The pursuers have been judged in the water. 
and the crack of the slave driver's whip is just in the past. And now there's a new land before them. There's new hope. There's a new relationship with God. All things are made new. And so when Jonah is brought up out of the ocean and spat up on dry land, it's a new life of service. So God is making things new in our lives. And baptism is about portraying and displaying and commemorating and reminding us of the greatest miracle of all, our salvation. And it does so with such vivid imagery, such biblical imagery. It's something so exciting. Get excited about baptism. When you see a baptism, take advantage of it. Look beyond the things that you see. Look at them and see them. But look beyond them and see the spiritual reality that here is a person who has been born again. Here is, here is a person who is giving a baptism and they, they're, they're part of a long chain that God's word is alive today and uh, it's still multiplying and God is still present and working among us. That here is the judgment of God and the salvation amid the judgment. The fish comes and rescues Jonah and here is the new life, the promise of a new world. Here is a command that went out of the lips of one Jewish man millennia ago, and it's still alive, it's still powerful, it's still potent today. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ in his example of baptism. And, uh, and meet the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism. Worship God in baptism. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for this grace and this blessing that you've given us this way to recognize, to commemorate, to worship what, you've, what you have done to give thanks to you, to give you honor and praise, to set up a monument in our lives by undergoing this, this rite of baptism that you commanded. Thank you for giving us something so practical, so visible, so useful, so helpful that can help us to grab and take hold of the spiritual realities and hold them in our hands before our eyes and bring them into our hearts. So Lord, be with us now. Fill us with love for you. Renew our hearts in joy, in worship, in service. And lead us ahead in this new life that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.